Hello. Oh, hi, Merlin. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Are you well? I saw something this morning that I um, I didn't understand. Mm. Is it is it a thing that you could share with us? Or you yeah, I think I can share it. Um, okay. All right. Is can I be can I ask a question? Yeah. Is is this a concern of yours? No, I wouldn't go that far. Oh, it's, man, I wanted to sing the song. Okay. Yeah, I'm super concerned about it. I don't it's Dan's concern. It's Dan's concern. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I've done this in probably two years. I was walking. <laughs> is it uh, a red light? Is it someone uh, doing <laughs> routines with a rifle? Well, there's two, trailer there's two, the there's two things, two things have come up, but this one is in, okay. So for a long time, there's this guy who's a, he's a jogger in the neighborhood mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. and you know, I've seen him before, um, jogging around and he, you know, before, before the COVID-19 thing, before the coronavirus, he would jog, you know, in there's like, we have, um, we have nice wide roads in, in the neighborhood that I live in. And so there's room enough on the side of the road that's actually marked out for like, like where you could bike or jog. It's like a designated area. Uh, so like, a, almost like a lane. It's like a lane. Why not? Mm-hmm. And some, most, most people who walk or jog are either on the sidewalk or in that designated area. And he used to be in the area. This was his MO this is what he did. Mm-hmm. And, as as like coronavirus happened, you saw less and less people, or as you would say, fewer people mm-hmm. uh, driving their vehicles in throughout the neighborhood. A lot of traffic had just stopped because people couldn't go anywhere. There was nowhere to go. Everything was closed. You couldn't go to your job. You couldn't do anything. So I feel like people got a little bit more casual with where they would some, maybe instead of just one person by themselves on that lane, then maybe there'd be two or three abreast walking on and they'd extend into the road a little bit, which is fine because there was only be one car on the road every 15 minutes and people could see it and people were driving slow anyway, no big deal. So I would see him and he kind of, he would kind of start, he was kind of running out. Maybe he'd be out into the, even into the lane a little bit. Mm. Okay. No, no big Mm. deal. Well, as you know, they opened up Texas. So more people are driving now, but there was a weird (laughs) response. Everything's okay now. Everything's fine now. Yeah. And uh, as, as you know, regardless of that, as this happened, now I notice that he's now jogging in the, in the middle of the road. This is a two lane road. He's oh, jogging God. on the double yellow line now. So mm-hmm. his progression was, you know. He's, he's si- found the like mathematically most annoying place to be. Well, and I feel like it's, Maybe the most dangerous also, because what if two cars were going by at the same time? You're pinned in the middle of one. And the other thing, when I was talking to my, I had to call my mom and talk about this. And she said, (laughs) well, I called her this morning and she said that uh, the problem is that when people would look at him, when they're going to look at him and she says that unconsciously people will also turn the wheel toward him. And that he's making himself even more of a target by jogging. And I thought, you know what? He's crossing. He's crossing the road. He's not He's not meaning to run on the double yellow line for an extended time. He's crossing the road. Mm-hmm. But he never crossed. He stayed as far as I could see him. For as long as I could see him, he stayed just running in the middle uh, yellow line. I've seen this twice now. Hmm. And so hey, and, and I don't... So- I'm sorry. I'm, I think I missed one 
fact here. You're saying that there is a bike a bike-ish lane. On both that, sides of the road. There's an accommodation on, for non-cars by design. Yeah. In addition what I, to... What I, I think the technical term is a lane. And you're, when you say that, you're saying a double yellow line? Yeah, okay. So like, like a do not like a do not pass do not line, pass line, which is pretty much the whole length of the line, neighborhood. You do not. <laughs> you do not. And and so he's so double yellow line. Okay, and, let me let me hold on. Let me I, this is let me try and better. I can think I knew this better. If okay. I were, if you were to let's say you were one of the houses on this road, I am one of the houses, and you live across the street from me, and I'm walk out onto my front step to look at your house, and you're out on your front step. Let me tell you the order that this is going to go in. It's going to go my lawn to the sidewalk. My lawn. Sidewalk to the, to the road, which now contains designated walking or biking lane. Is there any berm of grass provided in the liminal space between the sidewalk and the road proper? Or does it go straight? Like if you walked off the sidewalk, would you go into grass or would you go off a curb onto the road? You go into, it depends on the part of the neighborhood uh, that you're in, but the is answer is yes. And a lane? Yes, there's a this sidewalk. This is a very, very wide road. It is this very is wide. Very this is no suburban. European road. Yes, European road. Okay. This oh. is people who had plenty of space when they were planning this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So you've got. Don't, don't fence me in, is what I say. Amen. So you've got sidewalk, maybe some berm there, designated lane, lane going in one direction. Double yellow line, lane going in the next direction. So what? Designated area, mm-hmm. sidewalk, sidewalk, your house. You, my house. Hello. Hi, Dan. So I'm you've waving. got... I'm waving from a social distance. You've got two sidewalks to choose from, wow. two designated lanes to be in, Okay. or just oh, run down man. the medium in the double yellow line. It makes no sense to me. What Boy. is going on there? Okay. So I want help understanding. I want all the long no, distance track runners and all those people to explain how under any circuit, because I've always been told that you, if you are a pedestrian, you are supposed to be moving in the opposite direction of oncoming traffic. You're we supposed kids, to be able to see kind of the cars old, that they should see you. This is the sort of old information that I am prepared to have many people tell me is old man information that <laughs> we call them mm-hmm. old man information that is no longer relevant. But right. what I was taught in school, along with all of the, uh, <laughs> all the hand signals yes. uh, is that you ride a bike. If you are on the road or in this case, the, the lane, the European road, yes. the American road is for cars going this way, the European road or, or uh, 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 sub lane, uh, is where you as a bike person go with traffic. So you treat yourself like a little car. Okay. And then I was always taught that you walk, especially if there's no sidewalk, that you walk against traffic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's probably some kind of uh, psychology thing where it's the same way that you try to make eye contact with people when you cross a road. Like if you see a face looking at you, you know, this is going to sound really stupid, but if but I have discovered in 20 years of crossing streets in San Francisco that making eye contact with any driver before you start moving is a huge advantage for a pedestrian. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think that is a social a social psychology phenomenon, partly of, of attention and mm-hmm. partly of like, I need you to see my humanity. If I turn my full face <laughs> toward you and make eye contact... It not only ensures that we both know each other are there, 
like, you know, hello, I see you, Crow, that right. kind of thing. Right. Um, and then I think that unconsciously makes them go, I guess I better not kill him. That's been my theory anyway. Okay, so whew, one thing is, okay, let, let's get one out of the way. Maybe he's a little bit wackadoo, and maybe it's a project for him. Maybe he, in his head, he's in a funny mid to late 90s independent film. Or uh-huh. perhaps a gump. Maybe he's a gump. <laughs> okay. And he's doing a fun thing where he's going down the middle of the road as like a, a personal art project. I mean, it's, it's difficult to know. Yeah, it's de- I, I, it's not safe. It I'm doesn't seem to, before safe. Before I get to the dumb part, I'm trying to get to the like, I want to try and understand what this person is doing. That's just, so that's one. Oh, first of all, let's take it as red. That's crazy what he's doing uh, to me. Now, here's the other one. And this is one I had to learn. I... I want to agree with this more. Uh, I'll just I'll just state the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think this is a law. It might be a Cal- California has some crazy laws, and certainly, of course, San Francisco has some crazy laws. I think when you're a bike, a bike is allowed to, as they say. I don't love this, Dan. I'm just putting this out there. They are allowed to claim the lane, or in this case, the American road. So if you, if you're a bike in in this wackadoo state. You can basically treat yourself like your own personal car and like people aren't allowed to like honk and yell at you and hit you. Whereas, of course, in Florida, you're obligated to uh, to throw trash right. and Mountain Dew cans at anybody who's on a bike because you just assume they have a DUI. Right. <laughs> and now in California, people do it for fun. So I'm trying to get this all out of the way. I do not understand this. And I think it's going to be awkward for you personally alone to do this. Okay. I think what you need to do is get with your other neighbors who are probably as as weird uh, and full of concern as you are. Uh-huh. When I say dragnet, I don't mean a literal net or <laughs> or or a clothesline, as we used to call it in pro like wrestling. A call, let's call it a workforce. Yeah, let's call it tire spikes. Okay. But something that'll slow him down long enough for you to get him in the sack, and then you have a series of questions for him. Johnny, double line. Yeah, I have a lot of questions for him. Now, you've brought yeah. up a, another concern that I have also. It's which, Dan's concern. It's Dan's concern. Yeah, yeah. Be, be basically. I'm just glad this is back. I missed this. Well, I've this, I got a lot be, of thoughts about this stuff now. This used now. to be a load-bearing idea on the show is that I Dan know. has a concern. I know. Well, okay, so here here's another question. Now, I like to, I like to think... Uh, the one, when people are on, the, well, they don't call them 10 speeds anymore. What do they call those kind of bikes now? They're not 10 speeds. They have like 50 speeds. What do they call that style of bike? A lot of, lot of the, I know the, what you're saying. So like when we were kids, there were two kinds of bikes. There was a, the bikes that didn't have gears and the bikes that did. And regardless of how many gears it had in the 1970s, you called it a 10 speed. It was a 10 speed. Maybe and sometimes they had, dropped, they had 12, they had maybe 15, but yeah, dropped handlebars. You lean we, need to, we need to really, really talk about the Santa Fe at some point. Oh, but yeah. Any, yeah, oh, God. That's, that, well, that was the dream. That was the dream. But yeah, Tessie, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about like an adult bike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nowadays when you see them, the people are, you know, they're, they're, they're bent forward. They're wearing the special shirt. They've got the special pants. They've got the toe the clips and the yeah. shoes. Yeah, they've got the helmet on. And... These people, they ride around, and my understanding is that a bicycle, when ridden in this fashion, is to be treated as a 
just like you would treat a motor vehicle. It's a vehicle. Yeah, in, in the, at least in California, it's officially uh, designated as a lil car. A lil lil car. You're a lil car now. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So Motorcycle, that's a lil car. I think that's everywhere. I'm going to say that's probably everywhere in this right. country. And 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 so you're supposed to treat them as you would another motor vehicle. And if you don't, for example, if you were to pass one of them too closely or beep at them or yeah, we don't cut don't in do front of them anymore. or whatever. I think that's considered racist now. Uh, I think you're right. And and so that's that's bad. So people have learned not to do that. And I've I've read many things in uh, next door and elsewhere uh, where people are getting very upset, uh, the bike, the bike, bike, the cyclists are getting very upset because people are not treating them with respect. And yet, mm. and this is the question I have for our listeners, I see this one behavior over and over and over and over and over again so consistently that I've begun to assume that this is normal behavior for a cyclist who is on, who is unlucky enough to have to try to ride on the main roads. I see this every time and I would like an explanation. It's troubling because there's a safety issue for the cyclist, not for me. I'd be fine. And my truck is not going to be affected by anything. This is my concern about them. Every time I'm going to say it, I'm going to just say every time. Okay. I will see one or two or however many are in a group. They will be in the turn lane at a stoplight. So Mm -hmm. let's say there's a turn lane into my development. It's a longer turn lane. They will go into this lane. They will bike very slowly, very, very slowly to get up to the turn. And then they will stop. They're not doing any hand signals and they're not turning. They're going to be going Mm -hmm. straight. But they are just just so you know, if I don't know if this is still true. Time was you're turning left. You put your left arm out. Right. Straight horizontally. Right. They'll be. This is usually you make a little hook. Going up, that means right. You make a little hook going down. That's right. That, going down, that means stop. Slower right, stop. Right, right. They're not doing any hand signals. It's a right-hand turn usually, and they're not They're not turning. They're going mm. straight. So oh, when no. when oh, the no, light, that's a disruption of my expectations. I don't like that at all. When the light changes, now they start riding forward, not uh-huh. turning, and then, uh, I guess, merge back or ride along the, the side of the whatever. So what they've done is they've held up everyone behind them but they're so freaking entitled about being motor vehicles that they don't care. <laughs> oh boy, here it comes. So this is what I'm trying Uh-oh. to understand. I want the Uh-oh. cyclists out there to tell <laughs> no, me why that's really okay. How dare you demand the same kind of respect no. as a motor vehicle when you're going to break the road laws? It's not cool. But they, 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 they stop answer. at every stop sign though, right? I've <laughs> never seen a cyclist stop at a stop sign ever. <laughs> I something just occurred to you. First of all, cut all of this out. Yeah, um, I won't. This will but never. I just had an idea mm-hmm. that might require a fair amount of planning and recording the show about seven hours later. Okay. So, something feels very important to me. I don't know why. It suddenly feels very important to me to have John Roderick on this show exactly one time. Okay. Let's do it. Um, And I'm thinking. I haven't worked this out yet. I'm just, this just occurred to me. First of all, John, I think we'll have a lot of wisdom about this. Okay. Wisdom, wisdom and insight. See, here's the thing. Knowledge and information. Knowledge is power. Knowledge. 47 Lamborghinis in my Lamborghini account. (laughs) Oh, you know, Warren Buffett. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Up here in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like Personal mentor. 
it's one thing to have a lot of information, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm typing, typing, typing internet. It's another thing to have insight. And I feel like John Roderick, if we started recording this at, I don't know, like 2.30 in the afternoon, mm-hmm. could have some insight on this. Is this a thing that we could possibly explore? Is a literally one-time guest appearance by John Roderick to address some ongoing concerns? I, I love this idea. I'm 100% okay, is that something in. We can all work in. On? Yes. I'm on a website right now. Um, this will be all cut out and the show will never air. Right. Uh, I, there's so many things I remember about first moving to California. I know you've heard this, but boy, it was such a wonderful time. I, my life was re restarting. Like it was a new job. I was like leaving a, my serious adult relationship. Not my idea. And I moved to California <laughs> and I started this new job in this exciting place. And I had a rental car and I had, you know, uh, you know, temporary housing. And it was, yeah. I, it was amazing. And it, but there were so many things that were confusing to me. And one of them was the whole idea of Highway 101. Don't call it the 101, by the way. That's an L.A. thing. Oh. 101, you got 101, you got 280. 280 is beautiful. It's basically like a long golf course. It's gorgeous. And then 101 is, ugh. It's really, really tacky and, and not as well maintained. And uh, I remember, of course, I remember very first thinking, wow, Silicon Valley just really looks like a bunch of strip malls. It's, this does not look like that uh, Christopher Walken movie where he rides a recumbent bike with and Natalie Wood. I don't know if he rides Brain, Brainstorm. Brains, brainstorm. Isn't that what it was called? <laughs> brainstorm. And then there's that guy who has sexy times with his VR helmet. Yes. And uh, they use that very, very, very wide lens to portray the RoboCop-like room. And Traumatized so, me, that movie, because uh, there was the whole thing where the boy got got it, and he yeah. had like a Halloween-ish scary time with it. And Yes. Well, I tell you what stuck with me, and I, it's hard to explain, but you know, uh, it's like uh, Peter Schaefer says in Equus, moments snap together like magnets. You don't get to choose your sexual fetish or your flashbulb memories, okay? Okay. It, it, life would be easier if we got to choose those things. Uh, my, one of my flashbulb moments, what I imprinted on, and by the way, don't, don't, don't say, make sure you get it right. It's the ducks that are imprinting on Conrad Lawrence, Okay. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Okay. What I am, what I imprinted on about Silicon Valley in Brainstorm is mm-hmm. the idea that there are these beautiful, verdant areas, kind of like the way Devs looks almost. Mm-hmm. Where like there's these beautiful buildings, and at night the lighting is all like these beautiful little lights on the road, not the heinous amber overhead lights of Florida. Right. Bless your heart. And and when you're done working all day long. On a, on, a, on a masturbation helmet, then you get on a recumbent bike and you ride through that landscape. I thought that's what Silicon Valley looked like. Right. And then I got here and it's, it really is a lot of Arby's and coffee. And, and so like I saw the, uh, the, uh, what's the big building? What's the Larry uh, Ellison company? Uh, he did mix the databases. What's that called? Oracle. Oracle and the buildings look like big, ugly batteries. And I thought that was really weird. My point in all of this is, first of all, they were way ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our uh, RIP to a real one, Natalie Wood. You know what, what kind of wood doesn't float? Anyway. <laughs> oh, and, no, 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 because the one time I was driving my rental automobile, probably listening to Basement Jacks or Elliot Smith. <laughs> and then I made this noise. Ah! Okay. <laughs> you want to know why I made that noise? Yeah. Hang on. <clears throat> Let me give it to you again. Ah! <laughs> and that's the noise <laughs> that I made the first time 
Oh, does one say victim? That I was the recipient of something called lane splitting. Lane splitting is a fun thing where you're driving, let's say, north on 101 from your job. I'm not on a recumbent bike. And a motorcycle suddenly passes you on the left in traffic. Mm, Right. Now, okay, what I had to learn was that I don't need to go, ah, because apparently that's totes legal, as long as they do it on the left and it's safe, which, let's be honest, most of the time, it is neither of those things. It's wherever they feel like going because their little motorcycle fits through there mm-hmm. and they, they split the lane. And boy, in the same way that bike people love to explain to you why it's safer for them to run stop signs, there's so much talk about lane splitting. It looks to me, I'm trying to give you some information on this because Dan, first of all, have you experienced lane splitting as uh, somebody driving an automobile? Yeah, I definitely have. Definitely have. What, what happened the first time you saw it? This, what you're saying, there's a quite, quite. Could uh, you make the noise just a little bit off mic? No. Okay. I'm looking at a webpage uh, on the internet here for a law firm. They're not a sponsor. Boy, this is really not well written. It's called Texas Motorcycle Law colon Lane Splitting. <clears throat> lane Splitting in Texas, which would be a really good name for a record. Lane Splitting in Texas is an often con- Lane Splitting in Texas is an often contested and wondered about practice for motorcycle riders. So this is some basically what do we used to call this? Not a click farm, but you know it's one of those heavily SEO optimized pages. Oh right, yeah. when you Google something, you find. Uh, So finally, God, this is like a recipe. This is like a recipe for boiling water. My grandmother used to gather her water every morning and on her couch, she would sit and sew. She would sew a needlepoint about the water. And you just tell me how hot should it be. And then grandma passed a few years ago and I got her recipe for boiled water. So, you know, third of the way, half of the way down the page, what is lane splitting? Is lane splitting safe? Is lane splitting legal in Texas? There are no... Oh, my God. Do not hire this person. If they wrote you a brief, the judge would poop on it. There are no statements made about lane splitting in Texas law. Lane splitting has not been made legal in Texas, but some Texas legislators are talking about changing that. As recently as 2017, lane splitting bills were introduced in the Texas Senate, but it isn't the first time. Oh, here's an infographic, which is another word for a JPEG uh, on what lane splitting is. Um, let's be honest. There's one person that could help us with a lot of this and give us angles and insights on some of these concerns that we would just don't have access or training to address. And that's John Morgan Roderick. I'm down. I'm down for it. I need answers. I need answers. I'll do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. I'll do whatever it takes. Okay. Everybody be careful out there, you know? Really, it's, it's like, like like when you buy a hot pocket, and they show you get a box of hot pockets, mm-hmm. and, and then you see on the front it's got a hot pocket on a plate with I don't know like a pound of caviar, and then in tiny letters <laughs> at the bottom, what does it say? Caviar not included. Ser- ser- serving suggestion. <laughs> serving suggestion. If you ride a bike, a stop sign. Yeah, is a serving suggestion. Mm-hmm. Dan, tell me about something you like. Oh, I would love to tell you about Audible. Oh, I love Audible. We know Audible Are you from the Audible where you listen to books in your ears. Audiobooks is what we're talking about. Mm. And um basically they they own that. I mean that's theirs. Don't you think wouldn't you say like when you think audiobooks you think Audible. I do. Now now if this were 1999 and I was driving a red rental car 
getting lane splat on 101, you know what I would say? What's that? I'd say I'd say they're really the gorilla in this space. Because <laughs> that's, that's the way you talk back then. Yeah, they're the gorilla. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh! So, ah! um... <laughs> So they do you still have that guy that neighbor go. is he still out there yeah oh no no that guy I yeah. don't know I think motorcycle boy moved oh man do you have a it, lot of transients in that area not not like true transients like they're only there for a night but like they rent for like it's a month not a funny then, answer but uh, a growing number yeah, yeah people yeah. people get hassled one place they move move out to the burbs where they're hassled less and right I continue to believe, even in uh, amidst these troubled times, uh, uh, pick, 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 no, say transient, pick a person you want to help mm-hmm. and always give them the same bill. Mm-hmm. Could be, could be a one, a five, a 10, I like a 20. I give the guy a 20 every week or two. And, uh, and I don't know if that helps or not, but it, it makes me feel better. Dan, uh, tell me about something you like. I would love to tell you about Audible. The audiobook gorilla? This is the, yes, they're known in the industry as the, uh, the gorilla in the space, the yeah. gorilla in the room. Mm-hmm. If you don't and, know who the gorilla in the room is, it's probably Audible. <laughs> when you when you think of audiobooks, I think it's synonymous with Audible. I think that's every, everybody, everyone can, I'm sure you will all agree when I say that. But they do more than just that. And they've done something special for us during the uh, the lockdown. And what they did is they came out with a way for you to escape, not just into their huge selection of audiobooks, Merlin, mm-hmm. but into an, uh, a new comedy that is not a book. It is a brand new comedy that they made, that is made there and lives on Audible and you can live with it during this lockdown. And even after the lockdown. You mean like amidst these uncertain times? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Rudd is uh, the lead member of an all-star comedy class, a cast. There's other people in there. Ja- someone named Love Jack McBrayer. Guy. A person named Paula Pell. And a person named Amber Ruff, Ruffin. Ruffin, you can go either Ruffin Paul, Paul or is a, Ruffin. Uh, one, I believe she's a writer who's been on Saturday Night Live for many, many years. These she's are people awesome. with. So what you're what you're implying is that these people have a background in comedy. What you're inferring. And um, uh, this is the, it was, these troubled times. It's so important. You know, they also put out meditations by uh, P Diddy. Have you seen that? Audible has P. Diddy meditations. <laughs> Are you meditating on P. Diddy or is P. Diddy guiding you in the meditation? Well, I don't know. What kind of work does he do? John Lutz of SNL and 30 Rock is the one who wrote this oh, thing. Wait, really? You know who that guy is? <clears throat> You've told me. He's Lutz. Mm-hmm. No, I no, I mean, literally, he's the titular Lutz on uh, on 30 Rock. He's the guy. He's kind of the Jerry uh, Gurlary or Gary Gergich of that show. And so, and so it's a comedy, you say? Yes. And it, uh, the premise is that it's a, a remote luxury resort island. It's in the year 2038. Okay. So that's set sometime in the it's pretty, near pretty future. Optimistic. Yeah, that's what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Adventure seekers go to this uh, luxury resort and then they have, they live out there. It's like a, a, a fantasy place they can go. They, they, they live the fantasy. It's some kind of virtual reality simulation. I don't want to give away too much. That's why I'm trying mm-hmm. to be vague. Cause I want you to listen is it, to this. Is it difficult for people to get down? No, but I just don't want to take away any of the thunder of the show, but it's very funny. Okay. All right. And, uh, and basically Paul Rudd, ha- uh, there is a resort air who goes i don't want to spoil anything it's it there's a lot that happens is it difficult to get dan it's no but there's someone has gone missing 
They need to form don't, don't a steal, band. Don't steal the thunder, Dan. Let them keep the thunder. Find them. Anyway, this That's is very, very funny. It's very funny. <laughs> Top-notch cast. Great people writing this. And uh, production quality is stellar. And it's called Escape from Virtual Island, which don't we all want to escape right now from our own yeah. virtual islands? I you, would wait, say wait, yes. I'm sorry. You're escaping. Wait a minute. You're escaping from the virtual island. Escape it's, from Virtual Island. That sounds like the sequel or the second or third movie after the first one is like make yeah. it to virtual island the second one is enjoy virtual, virtual island the third is escape from virtual island so if we follow the planet of the apes pattern mm-hmm. how would it go you'd start with virtual island virtual island so and so at some point i don't have this in front of me i, I don't like to look at the internet when we're recording our program no but no, i believe you got a you got a, you got a dawn of the virtual island you got a revenge of the personal uh are you talking about the rebooted series or are you talking about the originals yeah virtuals because, in paradise well in the old them. one it's planet of the apes beneath okay. the planet of the apes escape okay. from planet of the apes conquest uh, of planet of the apes yes. battle for planet of the apes yes which one has caesar uh, Caesar is in. Did you know all the different kinds of uh, of, of gorillas and apes sit together at lunch and battle? Did you know about that? They stayed in their makeup during lunch and ate and through Roddy the McDowell, masks. Oh, no, more than masks. No, the whole nine. Like those, those the, the the amazing. Uh, I want to say 1968 prosthetics that they were wearing for <laughs> for the time. You put that put it on a Kim Hunter. Woof. <laughs> I'd ride that pony. Oh and no 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 no! Like like the genuine song is what I meant. And then uh, and so they'd sit. And Rodney McDowell has revealed the great actor from who played I think the five different versions of the exact same character. He was a Cornelius. He was a Caesar. Yeah, I think he was a, a Bubba at one point. But <laughs> he he said the, the the apes would sit with the apes. The gorillas would sit with the gorillas. Mm-hmm. The gorillas were kind of the he- heavies, and it was a little bit racist. And then I guess I guess Paul Williams uh, sat alone. You know, that was great Paul Williams uh, dressed up as, uh, I believe he, he wasn't Dr. Zayas. He was one of the judges in, uh, what, was, what was it called? Return of Gilligan's Island? Dan, uh, how do people get this? How, is it difficult <laughs> to get, Dan? How do people get this? Uh, no, not difficult to get at all. Fortunately, all right, all right. Uh, okay. fortunately, all they need to do is go to I, Audible. I love this show that whatever the show is that we're creating here, this series, I, I will definitely listen to this on Audible.com. Uh, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, audible.com slash virtual island. And you get a 30-day trial for free so you can i i suspect that you could listen to the entirety of escape from virtual island during your three free 30-day trial but there's a lot more to listen to than just this but this is what i think you're going to go there for audible.com slash virtual island and here's the thing merlin you'll explain you can text the words virtual island to 500 500 you can do that yes. with a phone and somehow do you're getting we know getting... for certain what is meant to happen after you do that have we figured out has anyone done it yet and reported back what happens what is returned to you if you text that to no them? i haven't and i'm unwilling to try it because it's gonna go it's gonna go to some kind of a big robot that uh, that's owned, let's be honest owned by amazon slash audible and does, does it send, back, send you back information does it talk to you is it like uh is it like a, uh, you know, what was, what's that app that uh, you used to t- talk to a therapist on your computer? What's your name? Ask Mildred. Is it like that? Do you have a, do you have a talk with it? Is it like a grandmother with a boiled water recipe? It's, an, it's an AI or something. Put it on the list to discuss with John <laughs> Roderick. How do it know is going to yeah, be the question. Yeah, how do it know? 
So it's not difficult to get. No. So a 30 day free trial, audible.com slash virtual island, or you can do the text thing. But um, we do appreciate it. And, and, and in all seriousness, Audible is a great company and they provided me with, mm-hmm. with tons and tons of uh, wonderful entertainment. So thanks very much, Audible, buck, for buck. making this show possible. It's an exclusive. Okay. It's technically it's over buck, buck, Audible. Um, and all this dithering and, uh, and dissembling and dishevel, did you have an opportunity to address the text that I sent you? I just saw it. Do you want me to play it on the, I can hold well, my you're, mic you're up to it. doing the bit already, but what I would like you to do is I'm going to make a recommendation. You didn't ask for a recommendation. No. I'm going to give you a recommendation. Okay. And to whet your whistle, I would like Dan to play you an excerpt. There's a wonderful author uh, that a lot of you uh, know of, and he's a very interesting he, uh, he's Cormac McCarthy, and he, he wrote, uh, he's best known for The Road, but he's written a bunch of books. I learned about this particular book from another book, a meta book, if you like, an American Lane of a book uh, called On Writing by Stephen King, which might be here as well. I haven't checked. Um, and On Writing, I don't want to spoil the premise of uh, On Writing Island, but it's, it's one of the great, one of the absolutely great books about writing that would help anybody with their hmm, writing and their life. And at one point he talks, he's talking about something. It doesn't matter what he's talking about, but he mentions a book and he reads an excerpt from this book. And I went and found and purchased this audible book with my own American Lane money um, based on the following passage, which is what made me fall in love, not only with Stephen King for his great taste, but Cormac McCarthy for his, his obsession with words and how they sound. Uh, And this is an excerpt from Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. The judge, like a great ponderous jinn, stepped through the fire, and the flames delivered him up as if he were in some way native to their element. He put his arms around Glanton. Someone snatched the old woman's blindfold from her, and she and the juggler were clouted away. And when the company turned in to sleep, and the low fire was roaring in the blast like a thing alive... These four yet crouched at the edge of the firelight among their strange chattels, and watched how the ragged flames fled down the wind as if sucked by some maelstrom out there in the void, some vortex in that waste apposite to which man's transit and his reckonings alike lay abrogate. my God. As if beyond will or fate, he and his beasts and his trappings moved both in card and in substance under consignment to some third and other destiny. It's an excerpt from uh, Blood Meridian wow. by wow. Cormac McCarthy. Uh, as uh, Yeah, there's a lot there, as read by our, a man called Richard Poe. And of course, if you're looking at the text, you'll realize one of, uh, one of Cormac, well, apart from what he manages to do with words, well, I, have to, I have to look up almost every word in this sentence. I was going to say. I went to a state college. <laughs> in the maelstrom out there in the void, some vortex in that waste opposite to which man's transit and his reckonings alike lay abrogate. Mm. I don't know what most of that means. And That's I'm an English major. why you major. get a dictionary. You get it from the audible.com. Listen, you go to audible.com and they are going to have a dictionary. Do they just read it to you? Like A, aardvark, and then they They're go in. They read it to you in particular, but yeah, it's the dictionary, man. They start with like you know, aardvark, Aaron, you know, and then with zizidrogy. Man, imagine just listening to the to a dictionary. <laughs> I can totally imagine that. I listen to... At, to go to sleep at night, uh, if I'm not falling asleep to a podcast I don't like, I will listen to um, a very low cello going, 
or I is it just you making the, the noise of the cello? Yeah, it's available on audible.com. Check it out with offer code Blood Meridian. <laughs> and I also listened to five hours of the shipping forecast from the BBC this one month of August, where somebody put up every shipping forecast for that month. <clears throat> you can get that at, uh, at uh, you know what, I can put it up if you want. If you go to YouTube, just search for five, five, not five hour energy, five hour uh, shipping report, shipping forecast. It looked like you were up a little later than usual last night. Oh man, well, you know, the thing is, I checked on the internet and there are at least four people who still have not watched Middle Ditch and Schwartz and shame on them. It's so important that you watch this show and put your God, listen, both of you, put your phone down and watch this. Oh, and then what else was I doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. What was I talking about last night? I forget even. I did watch, I've been watching more TV and watching more YouTube. I can look at my Twitter and figure out what I was doing most of the time. Um, what time did you go to bed last night? Uh, midnight. Okay. I think, uh, I think I went to bed later than that. It looked like one. Oh, you know you. what? One I was talking, time. I was talking about the one who cannot be named. <clears throat> the one who cannot be named. Mm-hmm. Let's call him Philip W. Battery. <clears throat> Philip W. Battery <laughs> has a lady friend who's a really talented <laughs> singer. And they're both loons, utter loons. Uh-huh. And it only occurred to me last night that uh, Philip W. Battery's lady friend, uh, I learned last night that she had a baby. Which means that yes. Philip W. Battery, you think, think about when your, uh, your first wife had your first baby. And yeah. You never forget. Sometimes they have a practice wife, you have a second wife and a baby. Yeah. But if you, your first wife, first baby, do you, do you imagine, can you recall how all consuming? the run-up to that child's birth was. It's big. It was, it's it was all consuming. World. I took, I took time away from my job and like, I turned off everything and like, it was just all like collapsing on this idea. Never. I don't think I've, <clears throat> with the exception of a couple all nighters for work, a one night all nighter. I've never had so much focus on one outcome in my adult life. Oh, well was, said. Well, it's just so important to me. The, 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 the not that funny but real part is to realize that at a moment's notice um, my my, uh, my wife could go into labor mm-hmm. we need to be ready to get in the car go to the hospital yes. we've been taking classes we went to classes lots and lots of classes which were great actually thanks Molly and uh, and then you get to the hospital and you hope they can admit you if you're not quite ready if you're not dilated enough you go walk around in the basement but in the run up to being ready to get out of there what are you doing? You're fixing up the house. You're, you're, uh, what's the word these to use? Nesting? Nesting. You're like preparing a nest for this baby. And all you do all day long is like, first of all, my, my wife was in like just constant discomfort for months. She couldn't sleep. The poor thing was just, this is when I learned that concept of never asking someone if they want a glass of water. If you love someone, just bring them a glass of water because there's no normal person who doesn't want a glass of water. Don't say, can I do the dishes? This is mm-hmm. when I learned all that. I don't practice it perfectly, but <clears throat> I just want to get, you know, get to this, this big idea that for most people that I would like as a person, this is one of the hugest projects of your adult, usually young adult life. Um, and in that run up, can you, can you imagine, do you remember, can you remember how you felt the week before your kid was scheduled to be born or Absolutely, imagined? yeah. Terrifying. All consuming, right? Yeah. So it was only last night that I figured out that Philip Battery, as recently as a few days ago, had a complete meltdown on Twitter and decided to sell all his possessions. And then I'm thinking, well, you're typing a lot for a fella 
who needs to get ready to have a baby? I, I thought that his you account had been this? hacked. I thought I was yes. like, I looked at it and someone, someone showed somebody's, it to me. I'm like, somebody's oh, he's filled been hacked. Philip Lattery's account with bananas. This yeah. is full of bananas. And, but so here's the funny part. So like anybody, I look at that fella and I think, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like, like uh, yelling back at somebody with schizophrenia on the street. You almost don't want to make fun of the guy because he's obviously so troubled. And I mean, I'm really real talk. Like he's goofy. He's got some. He's got something going on. And if you talk about Philip W. Battery, as you know, and certainly as our friend Marco knows, <laughs> if you talk about Philip W. Battery, the flying monkeys come out. Oh, what ha- what has he experienced? I haven't been following that. Well, our friend, uh, our <laughs> all names are changed to protect the innocent <clears throat> and to defend against the dark arts. Um, yeah, you know, he made a remark because he, he's an owner of a Philip W. battery car that he loves. Mm-hmm. But as he, as he talks about on ATP all the time, it's also really upsetting to be a fan of uh, battery cars because the way that that place is run and the way that you get maintenance, like there's all aspects of that. The driving experience of getting in one of those cars in, uh, in crazy monkey mode, it must be the nuttiest thing in the world. Anyway, long story short, yeah, so what was I last night doing? I was watching YouTube and thinking about really turning over in my head that I'm really, I'm not trying to sound like I think I'm superior. I don't mean to say that. It's more like I can't imagine having it in me to have a public meltdown in the, even in the month before my wife gives birth. Mm -hmm. And then I did a little bit of quick math. I was like, oh my God, it's it's less than a week. He put two, so listen, two days according to the uh, terrible SFGate site, according to SFGate two days ago, and the day after his meltdown, he put two of his properties on the market. And it's like, how do you find the time to be this stupid when your wife's about to have a baby? And so that's just the thing I was thinking about. It's timing is certainly weird. If people want to uh, find more uh, show notes for episode diggity, what is this? We're in the fours, right? 477 of your back to work show. Uh, where would people go? Oh, they can go to back to work dot limo. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Sla- uh, now, is, it, is it 477? I thought it was. I no, I think I used my dingus to make it. It's 476. Know. Oh no, I'm in the future. I split my lane. I Back splat. to work.limo slash 476. Oh boy, I'm gonna have to change some things. Where are you gonna have to go? Yikes. It's 475. Why not those otros? Okay. All right. Oh man, this is what have I done? What hath God wrought? <laughs> my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> Well, Dan, I'm 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 happy to go anywhere uh, you would like to go. We I imagine we have uh, listener letters. I had a, a little idea for a thing we could do. Yeah, I want to hear your idea for the thing we do. I heard a um, this podcast I like a lot that I've certainly talked about here called "You're Wrong About." And the premise of the show, uh, uh, quickly stated, is that there are. I'm going to try and do this in a nonpartisan way. That there are uh, events that happen in. Uh, in life, in the body politic, but like there are things that happen and uh, a famous thing happens. Let's say it could be something like you learn about Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. Let's say you learn about the very famous story of Kitty, Kitty Genovese, who was assaulted in New York and n number of people, like depending on how you hear or tell the story, that like, like, 300 people could hear her screams and no one did anything. And it wow. became the canonical piece about, you know, bystanders doing nothing and groupthink. And, or you go into stuff, let's, let's go into stuff like Tanya Harding. 
let's go into stuff like, uh, geez, the entire OJ trial. They're doing a long series on the OJ trial. Um, the demonization, the, the folk demonization of women in the 80s and 90s, whether it's Jessica Hahn or whether it's, you know, Tammy Faye Baker or whoever it is, the premise of their show is that there's, there are stories out there that got big that all have a lot in common. The biggest thing is that, boy, did they ever get what actually happened wrong. Um, and then the subset of that, as you listen to the show over time, is that there are seemingly repeatable oopsies in a lot of the ways that a story gets reported. The one about Adam Walsh um, is really quite good. Other great ones include Satanic Panic, um, and that's a book that one of the hosts is writing. She's writing a book about Satanic, or she says Satanic Panic right now. Mm-hmm. So I love this show. I don't know. This is kind of just a wild one. I'm just hitting you a fungo. I, uh, I heard this episode yesterday, and so, I don't know. Bits about this episode struck me as having a very back-to-work-ish ideas, not anything explicit. Now, and listen, this is, this is a podcast about uh, the Y2K quote-unquote bug. And um, I, would not, hmm, I would not send John Syracuse to this to get an exactly precise technical explanation of the run-up to and then time after Y2K. They're not great at that. But they are good at teasing out uh, things you, you thought you knew about this as, as a reader or listener or watcher. And how there's so many things we get wrong. And, and so, anyway, this uh, episode on the Y2K bug, I thought it was really interesting, and I wanted to talk to you about it. I, and I suggested on the internet yesterday that it might be something that people wanted to listen to if they wanted to uh, play along at home today. Now, I, I, I hate to ask this, because I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Um, did you have a chance to listen to any of it? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, and I have a lot to say about what I did listen to. I'm about halfway really? through it. Yes, oh, I was fan- listening fan- to it this okay. morning. Uh, before I do that, could I tell you about our second sponsor? Wait a minute. You're our telling exci- me. Yes. You're telling me, as my grandmother, my late, God bless her, ah, as my late grandmother used to say, all this in heaven too. That's right. Yeah. Dan, tell me about something you like. Well, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> is, the, is it the Y2K bug? No, it has nothing to do. It's the opposite of the Y2K. So, you know our friends over at meh.com, don't you? Oh, no way. No. Yes, the yes. The bitches are back? Uh, they- <laughs> These people are terrible. I'm so glad they're back. They're this back. This is an awful company. Oh, yes. Meh, so, meh, meh. So Split my lane. They have a different thing all the, all the time. It's something completely different on their website all the time. You never know what to expect, but basically if there's a, if, if you're ever curious about what meh is they're <clears throat> they're an online store. They have one item a day and they call themselves the worst selection in retail. <laughs> and they're it's so true, but I love them. It's so true. Uh. And basically what you do is you go to meh, M E H meh.com and see what they have that day. It's fun. They have a lot of fun with it. It's there's a hilarious community out there. But today, this is this this whoever makes this these terrible people who make this site really have a voice. It's a it's a very clear voice, and it's super fun. When this I was, is one of the rare retail sites that you will go to just because of how how dumb they are, and it's really really fun. Dumb in a funny way, in a smart way. Yes. So today, the thing that they've got, <laughs> you can get a two pack of camera drones they are compact camera drones and here's how they describe them it says two baby drones that are easy to fly press buttons to take off land and do tricks there's a beginner mode that can be turned on or off 
depending on the skill level. There are guards around the propeller, so it won't get as tangled into stuff. And they have cameras in them. And uh, and normally this is $80 for the two-pack. You can... <laughs> It's ten dollars today on Man, and it has a little little. I'm buying it too. It's the dumbest. Like I didn't want to buy this. Now I have drones, and I have two of them because I have two children. When I woke up this morning, pretty much the last thing I had in mind was buying buying a a drone. And uh, so here's what they say: They say, "Are these drones the best toys to get for your stuck-at-home kids in terms of teaching them something or building skills that will last last a lifetime?" No way. There are plenty of better toys out there, toys that impart valuable lessons. There are toys that will show your kids how to code, for example, or work with electrical currents. Toys that will teach your kids creative problem solving and the satisfaction of hard work. But these are drones, the best toys for your stuck-at-home kids in terms of being uh, something easy and distracting to kill some time. Still probably not. Anyway, it goes on like that. It's great. But these are wonderful little uh, things they have. And you never know what they're going to have. You have to go there every day. And uh, and so it says... Um, there are still some left. 2,444 of them have been bought already today. Wow. So uh, they do this. And I, I go to Met as part of my little morning thing. I'm drinking some coffee or some tea. I'll go and look at the Met, see if there's something, and then uh, buy something. So, um, see, on the other hand, I'm going to say that this is probably one of the worst sponsors we could have. And it's extremely important that no one go to the site. And don't ever look at their source code. Um, they actually so, gave us a special URL to use. If, if are we really going to do this? Yeah, we're doing it. Uh, right. com slash go slash B2W. And that's B is in boys, two is in the number, and W is in women. So com slash go slash B2W. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Just go to com. It's the same yeah, difference. I mean, fine. It's fine. If you want to do this, that's fine. Fine. Uh, you know, they're, they're not... <laughs> Yes. Mad.com slash go slash B2W. Yes. Was it close? Yeah, that's you got it. Fine. Fine. Go there. Thanks, man. Whatever. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I'm really glad you got a chance to listen. Um, And I'm curious if you got anything out of this. When I went back and re-listened, I was like, I mainly noticed things where I'm like, "Mm, I'd like to get the real exact fact for that. But there are a handful of things that were right in my own wheelhouse. Let me throw to you. Uh, Had you ever listened to the show before? No, I never have. I've seen it around. I've heard you talk about it before, but somehow I've managed to miss it this whole time. Yeah. Um, What what was, uh, is there any general observations or opening statements about this episode? I really enjoyed it. It was funny. Oh, they kept oh, talking so about how it was. It, they were talking about how it was the worst episode that they'd ever done. It was the first one they'd ever. All this other yeah. stuff, and I'm they, like, they, well, they it was great. I thought they, it was great. They pulled. Well, here's what happened. They pulled a "You Look Nice Today," and they recorded a bunch of episodes they didn't put out. I think. And so what had happened was they recorded the very first episode of this show uh, almost exactly two years ago, according to Sarah. Is that they uh, recorded this show about Y2K, and it? I guess it was pr- bad in pretty much every way a show can be bad. We've all done it. We've all done it. You know, yeah. the, the content was bad. It was awkward. Uh, the editing was terrible. Apparently, Michael and Sarah would, whenever there was a laugh, they would duck the laugh really hard and it made them sound <laughs> insane. And um, and so two years later, they came back in these amidst, amidst these uncertain times. They decided to redo it. So they redid. This is a redo of their uh, Y2K episode. No, don't go to this show. See, I'm damning them with faint praise. Don't go to this show for crazy high production values because I think they are both in their separate separate closets, even though I'm pretty sure Michael is out. 
Um, so, so uh, this is the show, and uh, they talked about Y2K, and they, you know, they covered a lot of stuff we all know. There's a lot of turns out that we know about Y2K, but um, gosh, where do we begin with this? Where do you want to begin with this? I have some I'll, notes. I'll but, let you begin, because I, like I said, I'm, I'm not all the way through with it uh, yet, but um, you seem to have a lot more familiarity with the shows. So I'd like to start yeah, with you. Yeah, so I mean, I just, okay, so anyway, it's a fun episode. If I don't think I would recommend this as the best first episode. Um, I think, I think, okay, what are the two rhyming episodes? Um, Satanic Panic and, um, what was the other? Oh, Stranger Danger. Those two are very, very good. And I will find those for notes and put them in. I would recommend those. The, uh, the series on OJ, the tri- OJ trial and all the people in the OJ trial is extremely good. But what this show doesn't, I mean, one of my favorite things uh, that this show does is to point out how... I mean, there are so many important things to get out of this. Boy, America hates women and wants to turn them into folk demons. That's not, that's one of them. I mean, that's probably number two. Um, you know, probably uh, probably number three. A lot of law enforcement people are either incompetent, crooked, or not that bright. And but really, most importantly, in some ways, what you imprinted on the Conrad Lawrence that this particular duck found mm-hmm. is that the first draft of history, you know, is what, what we get in the news. And, and what happens is that a story gets reported in the early days and even in the best of circumstances and the most like, um, even the most gifted and careful journalist is necessarily going to make errors. We talked about this before, Dan. Anytime you've been interviewed, I've been interviewed you know, a lot of times, a lot of places, or even just somebody talked to me for a story, there are always at least two or three minor errors and one huge incorrect thing in everything I've ever been involved with. You know what I'm saying? Do, do you agree on that? Don't yes. you find that quotes get manipulated? Yes. I mean, the classic for me is somebody calls me at the last minute on deadline for a quote that they need to like put a button on this story or put a pin in this idea. And they'll just keep you on the phone until you get the sentence they're there for. And if they don't get the sense they're there for, they'll manipulate it sometimes. God bless them. But but what I'm saying is that having been uh, somebody who's appeared as a focus or a bystander in stories, I can tell you that every single story that's been reported that I know the facts of in my way, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, I'm I'm imperfect in my impressions too, they're all they're all wrong a little bit. And that's what this show is about in some mm. ways, is that that and here, but what happens then? So let's say there's something grossly incorrect and potentially dangerous in a story. Mm-hmm. Let's even in the New York Times, what happens? You get a correction a few days later at the bottom of the page. Sometimes there's a follow-up story, right? But it's never going to have as big a splash as that first impression. When that paper in New York City said what it did, Actually, I think, I think it started with a cop. But in any case, what got reported to the public was not accurate of, of what had happened. What happened um, with almost all of these stories is not what actually happened. The record did not get corrected. And we walked around with a first impression of history that was not accurate. And some of the stuff is true for Y2K. And some of the stuff you know. But anyway, that's my pitch for the show. But the, the Y2K part is there's the stuff we all know. Y2K happened because in the interest of, uh, what, saving memory in various systems, going all the way back to the, this is what gets confusing to me. So, like, I think of the Unix era. Unix era technically starts January 1st, 1970, right? Yeah. But yeah. the stuff with embedded systems, all this older stuff, you, what you're doing is you're saying, if I need to reference a year, in this, uh, everybody knows this. I'm sorry, I'm talking down to you, but the Y2K problem, as we started to understand it 
even in the mid-90s, was that we're recording two digits in order to save space, like deeply precious space. So instead of saying, like, that's crazy, why don't you just do four digits instead of two? Look at that another way. You just doubled the amount of memory needed for that thing in a way that seems unnecessary and potentially ambiguous. Like, so that's what happened. And then the worry came along that all of these things, what's going to happen when, uh, you know, year 2000 starts? Mm-hmm. Will, will, will uh, as they say on the show, will every like coffee machine think that it's uh, 1900? <laughs> will every coffee, coffee machine think it's the year 35,000? That's right. Like what's going to happen? And then, so what they get into though, just to cut to the chase here. So that's, you know, um, but they're talking about that they do a little bit, Michael does a little bit of history on this, uh, this very funny, uh, what was called Apocalypse 2000 or something, this paper that comes out in 1993 talking about this problem and all along the way. And then the preppers come along and how this kind of becomes a test case for like a lot of, on the one hand, a lot of the weird prepper culture and um, kind of outsider conspiracy theory stuff that was really boiling up by the late 90s. Because we, you know, we'd been through, at this point, we'd been through the Branch Davidians uh, we were, we had uh, very recently, I believe, been through Elian Gonzalez. There was a lot of distrust of government, all this various kind of stuff. And what they get into is what a complicated problem this was in a way I'd never heard before. So, like, they talk about stuff like embedded systems. Can you, as, as somebody who's, you're a, you're a seasoned technologist, what is mm-hmm. an embedded system? <clears throat> an embedded system is... The thing that Elliot hacks in the cave, is that an embedded system? Yes, I guess it would be because you you have it is it has a dedicated specific thing that it does, a specific function that it has, and it's usually part of another system as well. So an embedded system could basically be like a little computer brain that handles some kind of you know, it turns well, it the power on and various, off or something. Yeah, it could be one very specific task. Yeah. It's part of a larger chain that eventually is part of a bigger system that ensures that the cooling in tower number three continues to function properly. Exactly. So there, you're leading and up to each the... Each one of those pieces has to work together in ways right. that are incredibly complicated and connected. And it is a city of Rome type situation in some ways where you've got all these layers of different things and it's... I mean, you could have something that controls the air conditioning system in a server room. They could have this little embedded system in it. You could have something that controls the PBX for your um, phone system. You could have the thing that controls the traffic lights, um, I would think, would be qualified as an embedded system. It's anything that is embedded in. It's a little computer brain that's embedded in something bigger. It's the best way to describe it. So uh, this also gives me the opportunity to very briefly re-recommend... Uh, a recommendation from a while back, um, which is a wonderful uh, episode of a podcast called Cautionary Tales. And it's the one called La La Land, uh, Galileo's Warning. And it's basically about this notion of, you you have to be careful when you look at systems that have, God, what are the two, two things he said? That has complexity and like this interconnectedness. Anyway, go listen to it. It's really good. But we're here, like, for example, um, the reason I think of this now is, um, you know, I have this... Uh, um, if I turn on the coffee maker and the microwave at the same time, <laughs> sometimes something breaks. Uh-huh. Okay, so this happened recently. And I was boiling water and uh, probably heating soup. Uh, it doesn't matter what the food is. And boom, a bunch of stuff went off. And I went, oh, shoot, I threw, I threw a breaker. 
And so I went to the circuit breaker and tick, tick, turn it off, turn it on. Now, guess what? All I had done was thrown the extension cord, the um, power strip. I basically, you know, I'd over overdone the power strip and it's, it's little fuse thing mm-hmm. saved us, right? But I, I tried to fix the problem. I thought I was fixing the problem. I wasn't fixing the problem. I created a second problem. <laughs> when I turned off that, thank God, I do have a UPS on a couple of things, but I basically turned off half of the power here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. That's the kind of thing. But now imagine that on a much, much, much larger scale where um, COBOL, is that the system? Is that the uh, language? Yeah, COBOL is what most uh, most of those systems were coded in back in the day. But when you're trying to get ready to solve this problem, you just discover all these, there's just, it, to me, this is the back to workish part of this in some ways was the difficulty of solving a specific problem without having an impact on surrounding pieces that may not be broken. It's really, really hard to do. It's really, and so they go into some detail talking about, um, oh gosh, there was that company that had to go out of business because they'd spent all this money on Y2K or not. Or was it actually more complicated? Is that the turns out of this? Was it, if, if you had management making decisions about this, that is it really, it's like sort of like a Neil Dash used to say, nobody's ever been fired for anything they posted on their blog. <laughs> they got fired for having terrible judgment. It's not, it's not the thing they wrote. It's the terrible judgment to post it. And that's such a human problem to me with like trying to figure out how to fix this stuff. Like, for example, like, you know, you got to go up to the fourth floor to fill out a form and you got to deal with all these people in different places and all these bureaucracies that are super interconnected. I've been through this trying to implement single sign-on, which is one of the most deceptively difficult things in the world to do because every department, every silo has different things. Can you go to one Google-like page, enter something in two fields and be logged into everything in your company? Have fun with that for the next 10 years. That's Hmm. really, because it's so complex. So anyway, one of the things that struck me immediately was that that's such a back-to-work idea for me is that you come in with a good intention and a foreseeable outcome and then find yourself you know, uh, up to your butt in all these unexpected problems and knock-on effects, you know? And of course it brings in that idea, that Alan Watts idea, the wisdom of insecurity, which is, you know, the more we try to fix stuff, we, the more we screw it up sometimes. The other thing real quick that I'll throw to you uh, that I love is, um, you know, I think Sarah in particular can't stop pivoting to uh, an idea that's the elephant in the room, which is that when after Y2K, uh, which is to say after January 1st, 2000, around mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. world, um, some stuff did break. Some stuff, uh, there were very bad things that happened. Um, I think it was NHS, is that what it's called? And England accidentally sent out a letter. Oh, the National um, <clears throat> Hockey Society. The National Hockey Society accidentally sent out a letter to a lot of pregnant women saying that their kids had a disability. Oh, no. And two women... Um, no, in. no. So there were. That's terrible. The, well, the, here's the thing, though. Yes, there were tragedies. But guess what? We we squinched our eyes really hard, you know, and, and we all sang that Robbie Williams song and, and waited for the new millennium. And then you open your eyes and you're like, oh, looks like everything's still working. So what did everybody say? <laughs> I can't believe we spent all that money and inconvenienced ourselves so much. And nothing happened, mm-hmm. which sounds kind of a lot like another situation that's out there right now. It's like we said about epidemiologists. Oh, sorry. Let me say COVID. 
if we do everything we can, fewer people die. And then if fewer people die, if it's only 100,000, table stakes, somebody's going to come along. Certainly, many somebodies are going to come along. You know, it's going to be those guys at Target in in the the sleeveless tees with a head like a thumb and and a goatee. And this wraparound shades on the back of their head for some reason. What are they hiding back there? And they're all going to say, Mr. Trump, sir, I can't believe that this was built up to discredit you in this election year, sir. Nothing even happened. Same thing happened with Y2K. And why was that? Well, there's a bunch of reasons why that was. And they're fascinating. For one, Michael's bringing up some, he's, uh, I guess, talking with the guy who's putting out a, a book, a new book about Y2K. And one of the reasons, there's, a, okay, so one of the reasons was that, guess what? A lot of people were doing ongoing maintenance over the years, right? The thought was, oh boy, er, er, turn on the klaxon. We got to go all the way, got to rebuild everything. And, and it's like, well, no, a lot of people were already kind of working on this a little bit for a long time. Mm-hmm. A lot of it turned out to be uh, speculative abundance of caution stuff that didn't have a problem. But then there were also unseen forces. There are, for example, people whose job it is to keep their peace maintained. That ongoing maintenance is what for one, is what made this thing work. But the huge one, the outside thing that I'd never thought of or heard before, according to him, um, I think he was referring to, I think they're all five eyes com- countries, but he was basically saying, you know, where where was a bunch of money spent in um, the run-up to Y2K? And it's like the US, UK, Australia, New Zealand, Japan did not spend a ton of money on this. Mm-hmm. That's weird. How'd they get how they get away with that? You know why? Because and Sarah's wonderful guess was, oh, they're English speaking countries. That's true, but we're also we also have somewhat similar systems of law and we're much more litigious than other countries. And so what happened was apparently some brain trust got out the idea and put it in front of folks at big companies that if you don't get in front of this, if you don't fix this Y2K thing before it becomes an issue, you are looking at a multi-trillion dollar settlement future. That This will be the undoing of your company because of the litigious possibilities of what could go wrong in Y2K. And so people were taking the money out of the bank because I'm worried that this vault is not Y2K compliant. You know, oh, you know, uh, stuff like, there was one where it was like somebody bought a cash register for $2,500 for their uh, store, their, yeah. their company. Um but it wasn't going to be Y2K compliant, so they wanted their money back. So they sued. Now imagine that on a giant, giant, giant scale. So why did it get fixed? It got fixed because they got scared enough, not about the stoplights not working, but how much they would have to pay the people who died because the stoplights didn't work. I'd never heard that. I'd never thought of that before. Hmm. So that's a great motivator. Where were, where of, were you yeah. when the Y2K actually happened? What were you doing? I was at my, my girlfriend's house on Potrero Hill with my best friend, Michael, and his girlfriend. And uh, we were eating, eating crudite and getting ready to go out and party. And uh, it was one of the greatest nights of my life. I'll send you a photo. Yeah. And now, now we're married. Very cool. <laughs> Where were you? Where were you when the lights went out? I was sitting in the server room watching everything. Um, oh, no. And, That's like me uh, working at McDonald's during Live Aid. Yeah, it was oh, like okay. that. Um, that and I was just babysitting G-Page everything. sounds terrible on a little Panasonic boombox in a break room. <laughs> la, la, la. I was just sitting in there and <laughs> I had told... Were you yourself, Dan? Yes. That sucks. I had <laughs> told all my bosses that um, nothing was going to go wrong and I had checked everything and made sure and updated everything and applied all the patches and... 
even the Liebert uh, air conditioning unit. Uh, the that, Liebert, oh, we had Liebert there. Yeah, we Don't had a good one. It was a good one. And uh, even that <laughs> had been checked and everything else. And I was just, just twiddling my thumbs from about, you know, 9.30 until about 3 in the morning, just flipping backup tapes and walking around, looking at stuff. Um, is it this like is, a cage? Were you in like a... I mean, not, you know what I mean? They let like, me out for lunch. I, nobody know. You know what I mean? That was like a knock, like a pretty isolated, not very fun overlit room. Very, uh, very much like that. We had our own little data center. Um, I wouldn't even call it a knock. It's too, too much for what it is. We had a, we had a large, about, I would say it took up about a quarter of the space of the floor, uh, white tile on the ground, drop ceiling, office style stuff with lots and lots of racks of computers and other computers and everything just all lined that up. That sounds like and a terrible place for you, Dan, because it sounds like there's noise and there's light and all the yeah, things you don't like. fluorescent light. It was bad. I would turn off overhead the, lights. Yeah. I would turn off the fluorescent overhead lights, and ju- I had a lamp that I brought from bought from Target and had that in there, and just uh, and it was very cold in there, and so I would just chill out in there, literally. Literally. And just enjoy the lovely evening. You, uh, nothing you, happened. Were you personally or professionally concerned that night? No. Mm. Why? At what point did you not have concern? Did, or did you, were you never concerned? I was not concerned at all about it because I knew that if there was going to be some huge issue, and I actually knew a bunch of people who were retired or semi-retired that in their past lives had all done COBOL programming. And these people were suddenly in demand and they were being paid incredible amounts of money. It's like Battlestar Galactica, like where Adama's ship was like considered old fashioned and useless and they were decommissioning it because it didn't have internet. Right. And then that's the one ship that was safe. That's all the old COBOL people. That's right. And they were like waking up to, they were getting checks, six figure checks to go and edit like 10 lines of code to change. There might've been more than 10 knowing COBOL was probably a (laughs) hundred, but still they were, they were being brought out of the closets where they'd been Mm -hmm. locked up for all these years to do COBOL stuff. Old people considered harmful, right? But I wasn't worried about anything. I figured that's the f- that's so interesting. And so you're somebody who has a lot. Even at that point, you're a pretty young man. You had um, you had some uh, some insight to to make you not be. So you're somebody who's concerned about a jogger on a double line, la la la. But not so much the Y2K catastrophe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's there's just anyway. I don't know. Maybe this is a dumb idea. I just I really like these these two people, and I really like this episode. Uh, I like all the episodes. Uh, I'm a supporter on Patreon. I like them a lot. Um, and I feel like they're good at teasing out the, this, I want to say squishy, the imperfect human side of a lot of problems, the imperfections in humanity that cause, or that the imperfections in humanity that, that make terrible things happen, the humanity that leads us to report on that in a, in a poor way. And the uh, humanity of like what happens in the aftermath in terms of the, what we bring in with our cognitive biases and our, you know are dumb hangups that cause us to look for certain kinds of patterns over and over. And, you know, so I don't know, I guess that maybe one of the biggest ones is that, what were they talking about? Oh yeah. Like the unknown unknowns, the things where, you know, inside of these systems and within all of these different connections, what's going to happen if we do something, what's going to happen if we don't do something, What's going to happen if we do something? What's going to happen if we do something but don't fully understand the impact it'll have on other pieces? And that feels like such a basic 
human problem, which of course makes it a basic problem for knowledge workers. Definitely. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, anything else? You got anything else for nah, uh, no, your no, nothing questions? Else, um, no. I, uh, what else was I going to say about this? Oh yeah. So yeah. Related to, to the COVID stuff though. It's, you know, I don't know. You know, I said enough. It's, I said enough. We're running a little bit long. I'll go out and check out this show. I think it's, uh, I think it's really good. And what else was I going to recommend? I'll put those other episodes into show notes. Blood Meridian. Um, give me just a second here. Typing. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. In, uh, amid these uh, difficult times, you know, any port in a storm is what I'm saying. There you go. Uh, quick ending. So thank you to Michael and Sarah for doing a wonderful show. You, you guys are the best. I hope I don't creep you out with how much I like your show. I'm really sorry. Do um, they listen? Do you think they listen? Not at all. No, no. I mean, I had an exchange with her once and I think it really super freaked her out because I, I really like their show and I was telling them why I like that show. I love when people do that to me. I love when people are like, not just, Hey, you know, all the great shows, but go like, I like what you do because of A, B and C. I appreciate that. So I did something similar and I think I really freaked her out and I feel terrible about it. Oh. Um, but I, I will not stop liking the show because I'm weird like that. Uh, there's a, something I found on YouTube two nights ago. My, the thing that kept me up two nights ago amidst my current dive as deep as I can get into comedy right now. Um, I did not know this existed. And I think 2008, the actor and smoker, um, James Franco, was going to NYU and I think studying film. Long story short, uh, he had been a host on Saturday Night Live, but he um, basically, for as a project for NYU, because, you know, he's one of those, um, what would you call it? Not a polymath weirdo who loves doing different things and talking about it. Anyhow, he, uh, he basically took a camera crew of, I think it was probably a very small crew. I don't know how they gave him permission for this, but he went and watched, observed, reported on um, the six days of preparing to do Saturday Night Live for an episode hosted by John Malkovich and all, like behind the scenes of huge focus on the writers, especially Bill Hader and my beloved John Mulaney. Well, they're mm -hmm. both beloved, but also, you know, people like Bobby Moynihan, um, you know, all the great uh, writers. Uh, how that show gets made in six days, which we all, you've probably, we've all read the Saturday Night Live book or if we're fans. Anyway, this was so good. <laughs> it's got some John Mulaney and Hater stuff that is so great. Oh, and Will Forte, the stuff that they go through on like Tuesday night, they have, they write 50 sketches and nine get accepted. Oh, Damn, wow. every, every single week they write 50 sketches. There's pitches, pitches, pitches. The pitches become 50 sketches. The sketches become maybe nine sketches that get made. That's by Wednesday or Thursday. Then they have to build the sets. They have to do the makeup. They have to do the video. All the stuff that goes into the Saturday Night Live that we bag on every Saturday night at 11.29 or whatever. The amount of work that goes into that, and let's be clear about this. This is not a one-time project because there's a hurricane. They do this mostly in normal times every week. So first of all, I wanted to recommend, I found it on YouTube. I have tried to stream or buy it legally somewhere. I cannot find it anywhere, but it is an, it's an okay copy that's on YouTube that I will put in notes. Why do I mention it here, Dan? Yeah, why? Like so many things, I was making my daughter watch it um, last night. And um, we were just a little bit, I was like, oh, look at John Mulaney. He's so little. He looks 11. I love him so much. <laughs> why am I talking like Michael now? Oh, sweetie. Um, that's, that's my Michael impersonation. But, um, we're watching, um, we're watching this and I was like, what do you notice about 
all these offices. She's like, yeah, they're really gross and small. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you notice that every single person, every especially the writers, um, they all not 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 a single one of them has their overhead fluorescent lights on. They all have lamps. Maybe I don't lamps they brought from home. Mm-hmm. But like I was like I was the same way, and I was the only person in my office that would do that. And my entire office thought that I was so weird. Well, of course, Dave, the marketing guy, he had like seven lamps, but that was just out of a compulsion. Hey, how's, uh, how's, how's Captain Dan doing? Remember Dave, the marketing guy? Of course. Five? Love him. Um, I was like, I was saying, and you were like that too, though. You're, you're, were you a weirdo in your office for, for turning off or literally unscrewing yes. the fluorescent lights? Yes. I would stand up on my desk and I would I've, I've open tur- up the I've panel un- and rotate. I've unplugged the lights. I have literally taped the, the housekeeping people do not like it when you tape the switch to stay all the way always off. No, I know. But um, if you like to laugh, and, and enjoy that kind of thing, that behind-the-scenes stuff. Check it out. I'll put a couple of um, uh, my favorite episodes of You're Wrong About into show notes. Um, is there anything else we have on our plate for this week? Any other homework? Oh, well, there's a big piece of homework, I believe. Which is we're going to try and have the ultimate get for yeah, this we program. Get, we the ultimate, what, what do they say, the most ambitious crossover? Who said right. that? We, um, did I think we that say that? would be probably, it wasn't Kath, Kathleen Kennedy. It was probably Bob Iger. Hmm. Oh, and I, I, variety uh, where, where you can see, see the page in five seconds. I wanted to follow up on the mouse, the silent mouse. What I'm saying, John Roderick. I know. I, I I wanted to follow up on the mouse. How's your silent, how's your uh, silent, silent mouse? Oh, you know what, Dan, Dan asked our listeners, how even do I get a mouse that's silent? What's the, what, what, what did you say specifically to our listeners? to get this mouse because it's amazing it's a silent mouse and um mm-hmm. I, after using it now for about two weeks it's the uh, m330 it was in last week's show notes i'll make you guys go and find that uh i love it i love it even more i i bought a second wow. one um no kidding yes it's um it is my favorite mouse maybe that i've ever had there's something super satisfying about the way it clicks to me Mm -hmm. The fact that it's silent is just a bonus, but I'm just loving, I don't know why it's stupid. There's not, I have had better mice. I've had worse mice, but this is my favorite mouse. That's the funny thing about delight is you, you in life, you find delight in the weirdest places. I did this last week. I'll do it again right now. Yeah. Your spinner. This is not the perfect mouse, but that feels so good to me to do. There are just some things that. You know what? I'm going to give you one to go throw back to you. But, you know, for example, uh, an app that I love, Slugline. Slugline 2 just came out today. And, of course, it's very good. Um, it's basically marked down for screenplays, and I love it very much. And like I said to Stu, I, uh, he, we were DMing yesterday, and I was like, I love this app so much. I don't need this app. I needed this app perhaps twice mm-hmm. to actually write something like a, screen, a screenplay-ish script thing. Um, but I love using it so much that I want to find reasons to use it. And that's delight. When you find something, so please go check out uh, Slugline. I'll put it in notes. But Slugline kind of 2, a here? total rewrite of Slugline 1. Mm-hmm. I would love it if the Slugline web page mm-hmm. said what Slugline was maybe in the first sentence on the page. Can I do that? Like Slugline is a great application for Mac that make it easier for you to write screenplays. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's like, you know, I don't even f- know what it is. What and does everybody I, use Final Draft? Is that the one you have to use in Hollywood? I have no, I don't, I'm not in Hollywood. What do I know? Hmm. 
<laughs> well, what, what, what am I, Dalton Trumbo? <laughs> no, oh, you right. know what I found sure. out? I have to delight, mention Delight this. is what I'm saying, Dan, delight. Is Let's that uh, Agile Tortoise, a.k.a. Greg Pierce, a.k.a. Yeah. the creator of, of Merlin's Obsession Drafts app. Big fan. And if you like it so much, why don't you why marry don't you, it? I like found you, out that, your father. that Greg... And if you don't like it, you like can it. go live with your father. Why? He's back. Greg Pierce oh, lives here in Texas. He lives uh, just outside of uh, the Dallas no area. All my exes live in Texas. <laughs> and so he's he and I are going to uh, to collaborate on uh, consuming a meal once we're allowed to, Shut your to mouth. do that Do they again. call it the Big D? Hello? That's what she calls I'm, it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I got a little salad shrimp I'm working with here. <laughs> Um, but delight, del- you know, you gotta, f- guys, listen, people, team, you magnificent bastards, y'all, as we say in Florida, um, I just want people to be happy. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't deny yourself delight in places that you shouldn't find it. If it makes you really happy to use this fork more than that fork, why don't you do that? Why don't, don't, don't feel guilty about that. Especially amid these uncertain times, delight is where you can find it. And then that could be your mouse. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What was the other one that I was using this week where I had this feeling? Some kind of a new app that I got. I don't remember what it was, but it was really fun. Uh, my drove was repairing. I'm not loving that. Um, service station. That's pretty badass. Uh, uh, oh, Descript, of course, Descript, uh, which I'm still just utterly obsessed with. Um, the, te- the technology of that, it's like a four quadrant bananas hit with me, Descript. It's just, I'm finding reason. I spent my entire weekend just making compilations of funny lines from podcasts that I love. You know, little bits of delight. You find it where you can. Is there any other homework for this week, Dan, for the listeners, mm. apart from us trying to get John Roderick on the program? I think that's it. And I think, how should we do that? Should we have people tweet to him? Because no. he doesn't no. listen to this. No, but no, I was no, thinking, no, what no, if no, like no. a thousand people tweeted to him and he had oh, to do Oh, God, no. Oh, my God. Have you ever great. done a podcast with John Roderick? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Oh, no, 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 no. Please don't don't contact anybody. <laughs> we'll talk to his people. I think he's represented by Sting at this point. What's the guy's name? Gordon Shumway? Mm-hmm. He's recommended, I think, I think by Sting at this point. Call him Gordo. Gordo, El Gordo. (laughs) El Gordo! Uh, Dan, let's button this up. All right. Okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man.